uh, I thank you all for your invitation. And uh, if it wasn't for Roy Lee, Cobb, and Martha, I guess I wouldn't be here because um, their precious son, who's now with the Lord, Steve, was a good friend of mine. He came to church in Mooresville, uh, to our church during the week, although he went to his own church, Mooresville ARP, on Sundays, and uh, he was a dear brother. And I got to know him and his wife, Cindy, and as a matter of fact, uh, they gave me a gift one time, this fancy pointer, and uh, as this is the first time I'm using it in, in their old church. Isn't that something? So, <laughs> praise the Lord. Well, just a very brief word about myself. And then we'll move on. You probably read my bio. I was born in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina in 1974 and uh, grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. My father's from Iraq. He went to school with Saddam Hussein. My father's family are 300,000 Muslims, Sunni Muslims, and most all of them are still in Iraq today. My mother is from Newton, North Carolina. Anybody know where that is? Yeah. Well, if I told you Hickory, I'd get more hands raised. It's just below Hickory. And uh, so my mother actually wrote a book entitled From the Catawba to the Tigris because she married uh, my father, you know, back in the 60s, and she uh, lived in Iraq for a year or so. Anyhow, I grew up going to uh, an ARP church. My father, though he's a Muslim, he is a nominal Muslim. In other words, he doesn't really practice his religion. He just doesn't eat pork. That's about it. He likes gin and tonics. God bless him, but he doesn't eat pork. And according to Islam, you're not supposed to drink or eat pork, but he chose just the pork thing. So anyways, he's, he's a wonderful man from a world's perspective. His name is Fanar. And if you would, remember to pray for my father to come to Christ. Okay. Um, I'll be glad to talk to you more about myself and my history uh, currently, I pastor at Lakeside ARP Church in Mooresville, North Carolina. I was in Dearborn, Michigan, where the largest concentration of Arab Muslims is in North America. I was there for three and a half years as a missionary to Muslims, and I learned the Arabic language and uh, do debates and apologetics on TV. If you go to YouTube, all you have to do is type in Pastor Joseph, and you'll see me come up on the first search results screen. There's also a ministry, Trinity Channel, out of Michigan. We do uh, debates, teaching on Islam and Christianity, and uh, I, I'm on there regularly. I have a live show once a week. So I'm still very much in the ministry. But what I want to share with you today is a, uh, a biblical Christian perspective of what Islam is, because there's all kind of information out there as to what Islam is, and a lot of times it's conflicting. We see terrorist act after terrorist act, and there's people shouting Allah Akbar, and this is, this is uh, for Islam. And people from our government and from the media and everywhere else tell us this has nothing to do with Islam. But the people who are doing these things say this is Islam. Very interesting. We want to talk about this. I want you to hopefully come away with two things primarily. Number one, what truly is Islam? and the relationship between Islam and, and the, the terrorism and the fighting and everything that we see around the world today. And number two, as Christians, what's a biblical Christian response to the religion of Islam, especially as it's growing and encroaching here in the West and is always in our news and headlines. So I hope you'll get that today. 
What is Islam looking behind the veil? Let's start with some questions. Uh, can someone tell us what the difference between Islam and Muslim is? Anyone want to tell us? Besides Dwight, because he's, he's from my church and he's heard all this several times. Okay, well, Islam is the religion started by a man named Muhammad who was born in 570 AD in Saudi Arabia. That's the name of the religion. Muslim is a person who believes in the religion of Islam. I know a lot of people get that confused. Islam is the name of the religion. Muslim is the person who follows the religion. We must not see Muslims as the enemy. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And in Ephesians 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness. So the point is, for Christians, our real enemy is spiritual. Our ultimate enemy is spiritual. Satan, evil forces, not individuals. We must understand, because some of the things I'm going to show you uh, are, are, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, you're inciting hatred and all of that. Not at all. From a Christian perspective, we're not to hate, we're to love. We must not see Muslims as the enemy. However, the religion of Islam is a different subject. In order to get this right, you must be able to separate in your mind the religion and the person. Okay? Is it possible to have a Christian who says, I'm a Christian, but they don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, they live in sin, and they could care less, and they say, well, but I'm a Christian. Have you ever seen anybody like that in America today? There's probably at least one or two in Burlington if you go and check. <laughs> Matter of fact, unfortunately, I'm afraid that's what most of the people in the South are that, that I've experienced. You know, where do you go to church? Well, my grandmother goes over yonder, you know. I say, really? When's the last time you've been there? Well, I don't know, but, you know... Uh, God help us. That, that's something, that's a picture of something. Do you know what that's a picture of? That's a flag. Anyone know what flag that is from what nation? You don't see it that much. That's the Saudi Arabian flag. Now this is very important. I don't want to take too much time on this. But all of that scribble up there is, is actually writing in Arabic. And then of course you see a sword. Well, what that says in Arabic is La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. That is me. That's the Shahada. The Shahada is what every person has to say to become a Muslim. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And and by the way, in Arabic, you don't read like in English from the left to the right. You read from the right to the left. Notice the direction of the sword. It's from the right to the left. Now, when you understand that, what do you think this flag is saying? Either you take the Shahada and become a Muslim, or we give you the sword. That's the flag of Saudi Arabia. Now, before we get into a lot more of this, let me show you some good pictures of Muslims. I'm not saying good pictures of Islam, good pictures of Muslims. I've, uh, my father's family is Muslim. I've been in their homes. I've been to Iraq 11 times. They're people, just like us, flesh and blood. And this is a, a wedding party, and that tall guy with the, uh, the headpiece, that's me, actually, in, in, on my family farm south of Baghdad. That's back in 1997. These are all my cousins. 
and that's just a few of them. And because uh, I have a tribe of 300,000 relatives, you know, and, and wonderful people. Here they are making uh, a cake, uh, cookies. They have dates. Iraq is one of the number one countries in the world for date production. And they take dates and they put them in these cookies and then they bake them. They're delicious. And these are some of my little cousins. Wonderful. Uh, very kind, very loving, can be wonderful people. Now that's me and my wife. That was in my younger days. That was back uh, before the war. That was in 2000. And uh, we're in Baghdad. Now she didn't, she wore that because to go into the mosque, they make women put that on. And so uh, that's in front of a big mosque, a Shiite mosque in Baghdad. That was in uh, 2000. And that's me and my wife trying on some of our relatives, uh, you know, garb. And uh, that is the bedroom of my uncle. Now, my uncle's name is Isa. It's interesting. Do you know what Isa is in, in English? You know, names sometimes transfer over. Isa is Jesus. So I got Uncle Jesus. <laughs> I, I, and I told him, I said, we're going to set you up in the North Carolina mountains. I have a little tiny house up there. And I, he said, I'll live in it. I said, come on, we'll, we'll let you sell Christmas trees, and we'll call it Jesus' Christmas trees. <laughs> Anyways, when we went to stay with them, very gracious. This is their best place. They slept with the kids while we slept in their bedroom. Wonderful. Great hospitality. Very, these are people, okay, flesh and blood. That's true. And, and one of the problems we have today in America, a big problem, is when anyone says something negative about the religion of Islam, they say, oh, you're a racist, you're a bigot. There's a difference between looking at the religion of Islam and what it teaches and looking at the people, okay? The, the, the people, some of the people are wonderful from a world's perspective. But the religion is, is the teaching that we can look at objectively and understand what it says and say, hey, this is good or this is bad. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's see how good you are. Let's give you a quick test. True or false? Most Muslims are Arab. How many people think that? Oh, you're good. You're, well, there's one. Okay. Well, that's what most people used to think in America. I guess it's changing. Most Muslims are not Arab. As a matter of fact, only about 18% of the world's 1.5 billion Muslims are actually Arabic-speaking. Most Islamic practice is based on the Quran. How many think that? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And, and actually, some of it is, but not all of it, and, and probably not even most of it. We're going to talk about the hadith later, which is extremely important in Islamic practice. Islam was started before Christianity. False or true? False. Okay, right. That's, it, it was started 600 years after. Now, uh, the five pillars of Islam, the basic idea of Islam, these are things that you must believe in, the shahada, uh, let's see, oops, Steve Cobb's fancy thing that he gave me, I'm still trying to learn to use it. Here, there we go. This is the Shahada. That, that's what we said, la ilaha illallah. There's no God but Allah, Muhammad's his prophet. If you want to be a Muslim, you have to do that. Also, Salah or Salat, you pray five times a day facing what? Well, people say Mecca, but actually it's not even Mecca. You're facing this thing over here, this black cube in this mosque, the Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. By the way, that's specifically breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Which one? The second one. Do not bow down to any image. Muslims do that five times a day. They don't think anything of it. Salat. 
Also, zakat. Zakat is giving 2.5% uh, of their income to poor and needy. Sayyam, uh, that's fasting during the month of Ramadan. And then the Hajj. If Muslims are able, wherever they live in the world, they're supposed to go to Mecca once in their life and go do this pilgrimage and all of these rites and walk around that seven times and so many other things. Uh, many uh, Muslim scholars in the past said there should be a sixth pillar, but it never has been completely and universally accepted. What do you think the sixth pillar might be? Jihad. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Now, at the end of our time of each section, I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions. But if there is a question you have of misunderstanding of, of, of what I'm communicating, just stop me and I'll try to answer that right away, okay? True or false? The country with the largest Muslim population in the world is Saudi Arabia. Is that true? Uh, no, actually, it's Indonesia. How many of you knew that? It's Indonesia, yeah. Indonesia is not Arabic speaking, by the way. All Muslims believe essentially the same things. You know that's not true, right? We have the Sunnis and the Shiites, and we have others as well. And within Sunni Islam, we have a lot of different divisions. The most holy shrine for all Muslims is in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Is that right? Most people say yes. Actually, for, for the Shiite Muslims, their most holy shrines, and a lot of Shiite Muslim mind, are not in Saudi Arabia, but in Iraq. You know what towns they're in? Karbala and Nejif. And remember the Iraq-Iran war, some of you? It was eight years long. Well, part of that was Iran wanted control of those mosques in southern Iraq that, that Shia Muslims would take pilgrimages to. Very interesting. How many Muslims are there in the USA? I'm going to say approximately. How many, uh, anyone have an idea? You can call it out if you think you know. 600,000, okay. Anyone else? What was that? C. Four million. I, I think C is, is probably close. It's a, very, it's a very political number. The Muslims want it to be as high as possible to make politicians think they need to listen to them. Uh, others don't want it to be so high for different reasons. But the best I can tell right now, that's probably a, a, a reasonable number. About 15 years ago, they said one and a half, uh, 1.9 million, but I think that's probably close. How does Islam rank in size among religions? What do you think? A, first? C, third? Well, actually, it's the second largest religion in the world. 1.5 billion, Christianity is at 2.5 billion. Uh, what is the language of Islam in the Quran? Anyone know? Arabic. Arabic. D, Arabic. How many Muslim countries are there? This is good to see if you know this one. Anyone have a guess? F? Uh, 55, actually. 55. 55 countries that are predominantly Muslim. Which of these languages represent Muslim nations? Actually, it's all of the above. All right. Islam and Christianity are about, this is true or false, about the same, 
They both believe in the same God. Muslims and Christians will both go to heaven if they believe in God and are good people. True or false? Oh, praise the Lord. Pastor Gerald, you got a good group of people here. All right. We're on the same case. Islam and Christianity are very different. Christianity, Jesus is the Son of God. Islam, Jesus is only a prophet. Christianity, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Islam, Jesus didn't die at all, but he was taken to God. Christianity, Jesus died for our sins so we can be sure we will go to heaven. Islam, no one died for your sins, so you can never be sure if you'll go to heaven. Christianity, Jesus preached love as the answer. Muhammad taught submission to Allah as the answer. Pray always in Christianity. Pray five times a day in Islam. People should be free to accept or reject the truth in Christianity. People must accept Islam and Islam. And then Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servant fight. But Muhammad was a military man, and Islam was spread initially by fighting in war. Very sharp contrast. Why do we need to know about Islam? Islam has a lot to say about us as non-Muslims in the Quran. Worldwide terrorism, endless worlds, the government, our government in the past has favored Islam. Islam's rapid growth and all of the discussions of immigration. And then you see this terrible picture on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. You remember the bombing in the Boston Marathon. And you remember the religion of the people who bombed it. It was, of course, Muslims. How should one study Islam? Through the media? Through public education, by asking Muslims, by asking Christians, by reading a book or even the Quran? How about by studying the words, teachings, and life example of the Prophet Muhammad? He claims to be a prophet. I don't believe he is, but we'll give him that for the study's sake. And his companions, and through Orthodox Muslim scholarship of the last 1,400 years. What we need to understand, if you want to understand what the Bible says, Read the Bible and go and find the most conservative, orthodox scholars of Christianity and then you will understand what the Bible says. Now, you can reject it or accept it, but if you really want to know what it says, read the Bible and go find the most conservative, orthodox scholars of Christianity and they will give you the traditional conservative interpretation. If you want to understand what Islam is, go to the Quran and go to the other books of Islam, which we'll talk about in a minute, we've already mentioned the Hadith, and go to the most conservative, traditional, orthodox interpretation of Islam. Doesn't that sound reasonable? Of course, that's what we're going to do. Unfortunately, when you learn about Islam from the media, from public education, from our government, or from most anyone else, they don't do that. There is a narrative of what they want you to believe that is juxtaposed over what's taking place. Let Islam speak for itself. And when we do, I don't think you'll find it very attractive. Let's take a look. How will we study biblical Christian point of view, presenting Islam as it presents itself through its most authoritative scriptures, writings, scholars, and representatives, contrasting Islam and Christianity? And ultimately, at the bottom, we want to be able to formulate a biblical Christian response to the growing challenge of Islam in our world today, which will glorify God, and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world's 1.5 billion Muslims. All right. How does the American church view Islam or Muslims? Well, it's, it's a mixed bag, really. 
I've spoken. I used to be a missionary to Muslims in North America. Now I'm a, currently a pastor in a church, but I still do missions to Muslims. But when I used to go and speak to all these churches, it was very clear. Usually I was in a more conservative church, but every once in a while I would be able to be in a more liberal church. And basically you have two voices about Islam, even in the church today. And we're going to look at two representatives of those voices right now. Anyone know that guy on the right there? Yeah? Joel Osteen. Now, Joel Osteen, I think, would describe himself as an evangelical. But listen to what he says when he's asked about whether or not Muslims would go to heaven. Let's take a look. Well, I'm going to try to get this to go. Mike, help me with a, uh, Mike, I might need your help. He helped me with a new screen view that's very helpful, but I'm trying to get this to uh, play for us. Okay, he's coming up. Uh, basically, what we're going to see is Joel Osteen talks about uh, Muslims and non-Christians, whether or not they go to heaven, and then the next slide is actually a, a phone message I got at my church from an individual who um, saw me promoting the Islam study that we did at our church and his response. Uh, trying to get it to play. Uh, we've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are, you are going to heaven. And if you yeah. don't, no matter what you've done in your life, yeah. you and me. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. And I think it's a cop-out to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything to well, help What anybody. if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who and would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. I think only God. Because you believe you have to believe in Christ. I so believe. They're, they're wrong, aren't they? Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches. And from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God can judge a person's heart. I've spent a lot of time in India with my father. And, you know, I don't know all about their religion. But I know they love God. And I don't know. I'd have to, you know, I've seen their sincerity. So I don't know. I just. I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. But Phoenix, Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry. That's probably enough. You think you got it. He goes on. Uh, the lady who calls in kind of uh, upbraids Joel Osteen and says, why are you saying anybody can go to heaven? You know, the Bible says you've got to accept Jesus. And he kind of hymns and hauls and says, well, yes, yeah, she's right. She's right. And Larry King says, well, but you just said, I could go. I'm a Jew. He said, well, you know. And he said, well, what about an atheist? Do you think an atheist could go? He says, well, I, I just hate to say anybody wouldn't go to heaven. I said, well. <laughs> Anyways, so, so this is what we have on the one hand. Now, if Muslims have an equal chance to go to heaven as Christians do without accepting Christ, without becoming Christian, then there's no reason for us to be here today, folks. Okay? But on the other hand, there is a view which is completely wrong, and uh, his is completely wrong, Joel Osteen. And now this guy, uh, you'll like to hear what this fella has to say about um, our TV broadcast where I was talking about um, Muslim, uh, DVDs sharing Christ with Muslims. And this fella's a little confused. Message from unknown caller received at 6 o'clock. 
p.m. on August 30th. Yes, I've seen you on TV, and I can't quite figure you out. Are you Christian or are you Muslim? You seem to be kind of Muslim. If you are, all the Muslims can go to hell. That's my opinion of all Muslims. Okay, so he's a little confused. <laughs> I am a Christian preaching the gospel and explaining why Islam is wrong. <laughs> but you can hear that this is not uncommon. Hey, all Muslims go to hell. Drop a bomb on them. Or this other view. Oh, Muslims are going to go to heaven. Christians are going to go to heaven. Atheists are going to go to heaven. Hey, Father, all dogs are going to go to heaven. It's Disney theology. This is wrong. What should be the biblical response? Not to say we want Muslims to go to hell to say that we want Muslims to go to heaven. And this is a baptism service. All of these people are Iranian Muslims who are coming to Christ and being baptized. What a wonderful thing. That's what we should be wanting. Amen? All right, let's move on. Okay, Dwight, you can't answer. Uh, <laughs> At all. You have to be quiet. <laughs> Did, uh, who, what was the first war America fought after the Revolutionary War? Anyone know? You want to have an idea? And you can't answer it. <laughs> the War of 1812. That's one of the best wrong answers I've heard. I heard somebody say World War I, and I said, oh. <laughs> Anyone else have a guess? Well, here it is. Does that help any? How many of you remember Gomer Pyle? Yeah, he died recently. Remember he used to sing that song from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. What was he talking about? Now, that was before Reagan and Gaddafi in the 80s. So we must have done something with Libya before then. Well, it was the first war that America ever fought after the revolution the War of the Barbary Pirates, 1801-1805, and those are all Muslims there. These are Americans. Uh, the first attack was in 1784, and uh, these were all Islamic nations. They were uh, attacking our merchant vessels. They were enslaving our American soldiers. They were uh, asking for ransom. George Washington and the other few first presidents ended up paying because we didn't have a navy. And, uh, and then Thomas Jefferson said, enough is enough. The Marines were born, and we went over and took care of business. That's the first war. Interestingly enough, I don't have it here, but if you want to, why, why were they fighting us? It's interesting. Benjamin Franklin and I forget who else it was, James Monroe or John, John Adams, were uh, in a delegation in France during this time to talk to the ambassador of the, the Tripoli powers, the Tripolitian powers. And they said, why are you fighting us? We're a brand new nation. We've not done anything wrong to you. You know what the guy said? He said, because it's ordered us by our prophet that we are to fight and enslave the infidel until he either becomes a Muslim or uh, we can sell him for, for a ransom. And he quotes the Quran. Now, by the way, that was before political correctness. He just said, this is why we're fighting you, because Islam tells us to fight you. Isn't it amazing, all of these people that say, the only reason Muslims don't like us and are fighting us is because 
of George Bush and because we went and fought them. Where was George Bush in 1784 <laughs> or 1801? Okay, let's move on. The rapid spread of Islam. In 622 in Medina, Saudi Arabia, that little green spot, Muhammad died in 632. Watch how it spread here. In 630, they had taken Mecca, and that section was for Islam. That's 630 A.D. Look what happened in 29 years. Now, they didn't have tanks. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't even have cars. But look how much they took in 29 years. All of the Middle East, all the way over uh, to India and, West and uh, Eastern Africa, and they're way up into uh, almost to Russia. That's in 29 years. In another uh, 30, 40 years, they took all of that. All of North Africa, all of Spain, up into France, all the way into India, all of that. How do you think they did it? And they just go and preach Islam, and everybody says, oh, that's so wonderful. Come and take us over. No, they did it by fighting. They did it by fighting. They did it by jihad. We talk about jihad more, but jihad is a struggle. But ultimately, what we find in the Quran, the usage of the word jihad, it's talking about physical fighting to advance Islam. It also refers to a spiritual struggle for Muslims to become better Muslims, but the funny thing is, is in the Quran, it's almost always, 99%, the word is used in a physical struggle with the infidel, non-Muslim, to advance Islam. And that's what happened. Now, there's some special turning points that we need to look at here. Let's see. Battle of Tours. Anyone ever heard of that? You should. If it wasn't for that, we'd probably be talking Arabic right now. The Muslims were taking over Europe, and it didn't look like they were going to be stopped. But thank God for Charles Martel. That's supposed to be a picture of him there. They called him the Hammer. He and his forces in, in Tours, France, stopped the Muslim advance, and they never got any further. If they had not stood, probably most of Western Europe would have been taken by Muslims. You know, Spain was controlled by Islam for some 400 years. Did you know that? 400 years. So anyhow, the Battle of Tours, very important. Another important battle, the Battle of Vienna. Look at the date. September 11. Think that's any coincidence? Muslims have a long memory. They lost this war, just barely. They were coming into Vienna and trying to sweep into Europe from the east. And uh, thankfully, the Christian forces stopped them in Vienna in 1683. Now, Islam, uh, you've heard of this idea of caliphates and ISIS and all of that. Islam was there, but in the 17, 18, 1900s, 17, 1800s, it was still pretty localized. There was a caliphate that is a, a leader of Islam and an Islamic nation. Maybe you've heard of ISIS and the guy claims to be a caliphate. The caliphate at that time, anyone know what it was or the name of it? If you study your history, World War I, who did we fight in World War I? Germany, good. Who else? 
Y'all don't remember that war? What's wrong with you? <laughs> weren't you around, anybody? Roy Lee, you weren't around, were you? Italy, and that's World War II, was Japan, Italy and Japan. Who else? Austria? Austria, Hungary, and? And the Ottoman Empire, Turkey, and the Ottoman Empire, the Caliphate. So you see here, uh, the end of World War I, 1918, Germany surrenders, Austria surrenders, Bulgaria, but then down here, the Ottoman Empire surrenders. Now, 1918, and I think officially 1921, was the end of the Ottoman Caliphate. Now, if you go back here and remember, this is important to remember. Let's see. Oops, we're going the wrong way. Let's go back up here. There it is. Notice the Umayyad Caliphate. That was uh, when Islam first started. It started in Mecca and then moved to Medina and then uh, Medina, Saudi Arabia, just that northern part right, right there, was the center headquarters of Islam. Now, this is when Muhammad was still alive. He died in 632. So then what happens is uh, this next 30 years are the first few leaders of the religion of Islam, and they are called the caliphs. See caliphs, Khalifa. The first leader of Islam after Muhammad, anyone know who he was? There's Abu Bakr. The second one <coughs> was Umar. The third one was Uthman. And the fourth one was Ali. Now this is very important because where do the Sunnis and the Shia differ? The Sunni Islam is about 90% of the world's Muslims are Sunni Muslims. But 10% are Shiite Muslims. Why? Well, Shia, really, it means in Arabic, party of Ali. So what happened was Muhammad had no sons. He had a lot of, actually, he had two sons that died in infancy. So he had no male successors. So who's going to lead Islam when Muhammad dies? Good question. Well, uh, Ali married the daughter of Muhammad. So we had these people that says, he's the son-in-law of Muhammad. He should lead, and his, six, and his children should lead. But no, uh, the group of, of the leading companions of Muhammad said, no, we're going to choose someone, and they chose Abu Bakr. And then they choose uh, Umar after Abu Bakr was killed. And they choose Uthman after Umar was killed. These guys didn't last long because when Islam started, they were all civil war and killing one another. And then after Umar, Uthman. And Uthman, he wasn't so hot, and uh, he had some moral issues. And, uh, and so the fourth one was Ali. And after Ali died, this group that said, hey, Ali is the son-in-law of the prophet, therefore the next leaders should be his descendants. Those became the Shiites. Everyone else said, no, we're going to keep choosing the leader, the caliph, just like we always have done. Those are the Sunnis. And that's when the break between Shia and Sunni began. And so what you have is uh, after that, 661, the, the death of Ali, then you have the Umayyad Caliphate. That was in, anyone know where that came out of, where it was headquartered? In Damascus, Syria. Muawiyah was the leader there. And then you have the Abbasid, Abbasid Caliphate from 750 to 1248. Where was that centered? Baghdad. And then after that, it doesn't say, but after that you had the rise of the Ottoman Caliphate. And where is that centered? Turkey. And so for the last several hundred years, 
you had Ottoman, uh, the, the Turks, as the last caliphate. Well, in the 20th century, there was no caliphate, really. And this is what happened. In the 20th century, Islam kind of got eclipsed. It's an interesting phenomenon. My father is, uh, he was born in 42. If you talk to Arab Muslims of his generation, or a little bit older, most of them are not that serious about Islam. They're just not that, they're just really not. Why? Well, my father's generation was a generation of this guy. My father actually went to high school with this guy, Saddam Hussein. Uh, let's see if you can name some of these folks. You have to, your youngest folks probably can't, but anyone know who that was? I guess we weren't watching the news back then. King Hussein of Jordan, remember him? Uh, how about that guy? Boy, what a face. That's Gaddafi. If you see it once, you'll never forget. Uh, this guy. Now, that's the father of the Assad in Syria today. You remember him? Hafez al-Assad. And then this guy was very important in the 20th century. You know who he is? That's right. Who said that? Yeah, okay. Uh, Nasser. Okay, Nasser. Very important. Now, those of you who are, oh, say, at least in your 60s and above, you would, you would have remembered at least some of this. This was a pan-Arab movement. Look at the flags of these countries, Yemen's flag, uh, Iraq's flag, Egypt's flag, Syria's flag. Do you see they all look about the same? Why do you think that is? There was this pan-Arab movement in the 1950s and 60s. Islam wasn't a big deal. It was more, we're Arabs, we all hate Israel, we want to see Israel destroyed. They all tried to fight wars against Israel. We're going to have a form of Arab socialism, Arab nationalism. They, look, no, none of them have Arab clothing on, do they? See, Saddam's got his military, even got a beret, you know, socialism. Nasser's got a suit. Assad's got a suit. I don't know what Gaddafi's wearing, but it's not Arab. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, King Hussein. And so there was this, yeah, they were all Muslims, but nobody cared. We're Arabs. We're Arab socialists, we're going to all join together, we're going to defeat Israel, and we're going to be the United States of Arabia. That was the idea. It didn't work so well, did it? All of these individuals ended up failing one way or another, and this will be very, uh, very informative. The evolution of the Iraqi flag. Now, when I used to go to Iraq, primarily in the 80s, this was the Iraqi flag. Now, that was the one, if you remember, which was like these others, and it, it showed the pan-Arabism. But what happened? What happened in 1991? The flag changed. What happened in 1991 with Iraq? Anyone remember? The Gulf War, the Gulf War right? Saddam invaded Kuwait. George Bush Sr. didn't like it, and, uh, and so we had a war. Uh, notice what changed about the flag. Well, there's some writing in there. What do you think that says? Allahu Akbar. What does Allahu Akbar mean? That's the cry of Muslims when they go to fight in jihad. Uh, that's their battle cry. Allahu Akbar. And what it really means technically is Allah is greater. Our God is greater than the God of the Christians, the God of the Jews, the God of the infidels. Many people translate it wrongly even like it is here, God is greatest. It's not God is greatest. 
it's, it's the comparative, not the superlative, Allahu Akbar. Our God is greater than your God. And so, why do you think Saddam put that on there? Well, all of a sudden, he's about to get whipped in battle, and he got real religious. Foxhole Islam. You heard of foxhole Christianity? Well, Saddam got foxhole Islam, and all of a sudden, there's, there's nothing Islamic on this flag. Zero Islamic. Now, this flag is very Islamic. And by the way, that's supposed to be Saddam Hussein's own handwriting. And what happened in 2002, 2003? There's a new flag in 2004. What happened about that time? We invaded Iraq again. Seems to be an obsession. And so, what's changed? Well, notice it's the same Arabic, but now they got rid of Saddam's handwriting. Why? Because they killed Saddam. They don't like Saddam. They killed him. So they put it in just a stylistic, uh, Kufic script. So now it's, it's got the stars. Saddam's handwriting's gone, but it still says, Allah Akbar. Now, look at the flag today. What's happened? The stars are gone. Now, those stars are what linked it to the other nations. Uh, Egypt had one, Syria had two, Iraq had three. They're all going to be pan. Now the pan-Arab idea is gone. The socialist Arabism is gone completely, and the only idea left that's discernible on the flag of Iraq today, Allahu Akbar, complete Islam. That is a powerful illustration of what's taken place, not only on the Iraqi flag, but in the minds and hearts of Iraqi people and Muslims in the world today. You find Muslims that are young, 20s, 30s, 40s, a lot of them, they're fanatics. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You find Muslims that are 60s, 70s, 80s, ah, they could care less. Let's go have a pepperoni pizza. Let's have fun. Uh, but this is what's happening. Now, this is very dangerous because what do we have? In the West, 70, 80 years ago, right? What'd you do on Sunday? You stayed home. Why? Everything was closed. Why? Because even if people really didn't believe it, they followed what the Bible said. And you don't do any work on Sunday. Today, you do anything and everything Sunday. Everything has changed. In the last 70 years in America, we've gone from a nation that has at least outwardly followed the Word of God to a nation that, for the most part, is no longer following the Word of God. What's happened at the same time in Islam? In the last 70 years, they've gone from a people who really don't follow the Quran and Islam to a people who are following it exactly. And we have passed that point where Christianity has gone down and Islam has gone up, and that's why it's in the news every single day. It's very troubling. The only answer, by the way, that I can see, ultimately, is the revival of Christianity, in particular in the West. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, we're almost done with our first session. Any questions so far? Yes. Yes. Ah, that's the, called the Kaaba in Saudi Arabia, and it's a mystery. There's supposed to be some pictures on YouTube of, of what's inside, but uh, that black box is a shrine that predates Islam, and, and in the corner of it, is a stone. 
Now, if, you go, if you're on the internet a lot, I encourage you to go look at that stone. It's an ugly stone. It's a vulgar stone. If you look at it, you'll see what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a meteorite, and Muslims, when they go around that box, the Kaaba, their desire is to touch that particular stone in the corner. Inside the Kaaba, technically we're not supposed to know, but supposedly there's a picture of Jesus in there and some other things in there. But Muslims and people can't go in there. Just the leaders of, of the Saudi Arabian government and a few others get to go in. It's supposed to be secret. You know. Okay? On September 11th, 2001, everything changed. This is when we woke up to the fact that this giant of Islam has been sleeping through the 20th century and now a new generation has arisen that believes the Quran, that is inspired by people like Osama bin Laden, which say that you're to fight the infidel, you're to kill the polytheists wherever you find them. When we look at some of those verses. The people that were on those planes, do you remember uh, what their religion was? Every last one of them was a Muslim. There wasn't some Jews and some Presbyterians and some Catholics and some uh, Buddhists. When I mean the, the, the hijackers, they were all Muslims. They didn't all come from the same country either. They were all, and they didn't do this for the money. Why did they do it? We'll look at that in our second session in a few moments uh, and talk about what Islam teaches, in particular, uh, what we as Christians need to know about the religion of Islam. There's so much I could teach you about the religion of Islam, but in the next hour after our break, what, if I only have an hour to really give it to you, what do you need to know as Christians about what Islam teaches? Questions. Well, we're eight minutes ahead. Should I begin the second uh, session, uh, or should we take a break? Yeah, go ahead. Maybe there's more questions and we can fill in the time. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, particularly under uh, Obama's administration, uh, we had all, for example, if you remember, uh, Obama went to Egypt early in his presidency and he, he did all of these, um, this big speech and talked about how Islam is so wonderful. And you remember what happened in Egypt? Uh, there was a revolution. Remember, the president was um, Mubarak. Remember Mubarak? And so these, the people of, of Egypt said, we're going to revolt against him. He's a terrible leader. Well, there was a, 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 a political party that got into power after that revolution called the Muslim Brotherhood. You heard of Muslim Brotherhood? The Muslim Brotherhood... In most Middle Eastern uh, nations, it exists. It's Islamic, but they call it a terrorist organization. But Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and others, and even some Republicans like John McCain and others, actually did what they could to put the Muslim Brotherhood in power in Egypt after Mubarak was kicked out. After one year of this Muslim Brotherhood government, most all of Egypt... Christians and Muslims said, we can't take enough, this is too much. And they had another revolution, got rid of the Muslim Brotherhood government and put in a General Sisi who was really under Mubarak. So that's just one example. 
There are many examples of how, um, for example, uh, the Department of Homeland Security. Does anyone know when that was created? After September 11th, right? It was created. You ever go to the airport, you got to take your shoes off? You know, if you go to a mosque, you got to take your shoes off. <laughs> well, why do you got to take your shoes off at the mosque? Because of the Muslims. Why do you ever take your shoes off at the airport? Because of the Muslims. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but really, why did, when did all that start happening? Right after September 11th. That was the shoe bomber. Remember that guy? And all of that. And so what's happened is the Department of Homeland Security was created not just about Islam, but from Islam on September 11th, but under the Obama administration, and, and not just Obama. Bush also, even before Obama. Bush made a lot of problems and mistakes too. Uh, George Bush did. A lot of allowing Muslims to be in the highest levels of homeland security. And some of those Muslims, we have found, have ties to Muslim radical groups. George Bush and Obama. Now, Trump, of course, has a lot of rhetoric that he's going to clean all this up, but I haven't seen it yet. But the point is, our government, uh, we gave, remember Iran? We, we did this deal about the missiles and this and other thing. We paid them all this money. Just before the end of the Obama administration, we were loading trucks with, with huge boxes of cash to give to Iran. Have they kept their agreement? All we hear from Iran is continued threats. Kill the infidel, kill the Americans, blow them up. It's not just Obama. Bush did it too. Uh, but uh, our, our government, as a matter of fact, our government has taken your tax dollars and mine since September 11th. And George Bush started this. Obama continued it, but George Bush, it's Republican or Democrat, both have made mistakes here. What they started after September 11th, our government under George Bush, they decided the way we're going to fight radical Islam, you know what they decided to do? We're going to support moderate Muslims and moderate Islam. So the way that we're going to fight the radicals like Osama bin Laden, we're going to support the Muslims who say we want peace. Guess what's happened? All of that money that's supposed to go to the moderates, somehow or another, where does it get ended up? In Gaza, in rockets fighting against Israel. In, in Iran and in other places, in Hezbollah and everything else, in Egypt, in the Muslim Brotherhood. So whether it's Bush or Obama, they both did a terrible job with this. Trump says he's going to do better. I haven't seen it. So anyway, that, that's what I'm saying. Anyone else? Questions? Surely you have some. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Right. Okay. Wash. Yeah. That's correct. From here, they would face east. Oh, okay. If you were in Tokyo, they would face west. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they're facing Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Um, I think of things every once in a while when I talk to Muslims to just get their mind off of trying to win the debate. And I say, now, if you were in space, 
out in a rocket, what would your face when you pray? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but anyway, anyways, uh, all right, uh, we have, what, two or three more minutes? Two more minutes. Any other questions? I've got a lot more to teach, but uh, any questions on your mind about Islam in general? Good. Um, there is uh, there is a lot of similarities. There is some differences. One of the differences, practically, is is Shia uh, pray three times a day, and Muslim uh, Sunnis pray five times a day. Again, the Shia believe that the leader of Islam today should be a descendant of Ali, and the Sunnis say no. It's whoever the the Muslim Ummah or community uh, selects. Uh, let me just try to give you an idea. Catholicism is different from Protestantism. In Catholicism, there's a, there's a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, some superstition. You know, they have uh, praying to the saints, some Catholics. They go and they pray. Uh, they might, in the Eastern Orthodox, they have icons. They pray to pictures of saints and all that kind of stuff. And they think that by praying to saints instead of praying to Jesus or to the Father, that this will help them. Well, Shia Islam is a little bit more like Catholicism in that regard. They go to the, the tombs of dead Muslims and they pray and ask if, if somehow they can intercede for them with Allah. A Sunni Muslim would say, oh, you can't do that. That's, that's wrong. That's not true Islam. The Shia Muslims have also, um, this is a good place to end on this, uh, they have, I mentioned earlier, the two shrines in southern Iraq, Karbala and Nejif. Ali uh, and Hussein, Hussein was his son. If you go and you study, there's this tragic story. And the Shia Muslims around the world, you know, we have this, uh, the Easter, uh, the passion plays, right? Where we show Jesus being crucified. Well, they have the same thing in Shia Islam for Hussein, the son of Ali, who was killed. And it's a sad, tragic story. It is how he was killed and his son was killed in his arms and and he was led into an ambush in, in southern Iraq. And, uh, and, but they, they don't believe that he died for their sins. But they believe that because he suffered for the right truth that he can intercede for them. And the Shia have this thing once a year. You may have seen pictures where they, they, they beat themselves and they cut themselves until the blood flows. Have you ever seen pictures of that with chains? It's pretty ugly. But anyways, it happens every year for the Shia Muslims, and they're reenacting this idea of the, of the sacrifice of Hussein. And one interesting note, Shia Muslims have a better understanding. When we talk to them about the idea that Jesus died for our sins, they can kind of understand that concept because of this belief. Sunni Muslims... You say, Jesus died for you. Oh, no one died for your sins. Very, very, very orthodox. Stay away from that. And by the way, last point, and we'll take a break. Shia Muslims, in ISIS, they killed a lot of people. It's a horrible thing. Who did they kill the most of? What kind of people? Muslims. And what kind of Muslims? Shiite Muslims. And why did they kill them? They said they're not Muslims. They're infidels because their practice doesn't conform with our belief. And the most people there were Shiite Muslims. They killed them, machine gunned them, terrible thing. Good question. Why don't we have a prayer and then a little break, and then we'll come back. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these who are here this morning. I pray, Lord, that this is helpful, insightful, that we will learn what is right and what is true concerning Islam. And even more, Lord God, that we will be led to pray for these people and support missions to Muslims around the world to, to be excited and encouraged this day, Lord, that you are working even in Muslim countries and Muslim hearts and minds around the world for your salvation and your glory. Help us, Lord, to be able to stay awake and to uh, learn to enjoy and have a wonderful time together. And we give you the praise and thanks in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a five-minute break or <coughs> five minutes and we'll get back on our second session. <laughs>